The deal to allow the safe transport of grain out of the Ukraine by sea was an extraordinary and unprecedented agreement between enemy combatants. And the fact that it has seen over 25 million tonnes exported to date has quite literally been a matter of life and death as well as a minor diplomatic miracle. But the initiative is deeply flawed and it survives despite its status as a political bargaining chip and of course routine threats from Russia to shut it down. Bridget Dyken, Lloyd's List data reporter, has been leading the coverage on the corridor since its inception and she offers here an expert view on the lasting significance of a fragile deal. Ukraine's seaports were effectively blockaded at the onset of the invasion, cutting off the country's major supply routes and rattling global markets. The government, in war mode, had to move quickly to keep goods flowing out to the foreign markets that rely on its key commodities and establish alternative logistics chains so imports could reach the Ukrainian people. A handful of very small government-run ports along the Danube River emerged as critical hubs for wartime trade. The ports of Reni, Ishmael, and Kilia were the country's only operational ports up until the implementation of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, and they continue to be the only ports where trade can flow unrestricted. These small river ports significantly boosted capacity throughout the first months of the war and have received heavy investment over the last year to improve operational efficiency. In 2022, the port of Reni increased cargo traffic over five times the amount of 2021, while the port of Ishmael handled more than twice its previous volumes. Before the war, the Ukraine Danube ports operated in small volume. I know that many of these were on the point of going bankrupt because uh, they are government ports, yes, state ports. Since 24 February 2022, the operation of Ukraine's main ports, such as Odessa, Chernomorsk, Mykolaiv, Pivdeny, Kherson, Mariupol, Berdyansk has been blocked. Uh, we are needed to look for alternative maritime roads. And it was the Ukraine's port on the Danube River. They became something like a lifeline for Ukraine and maybe for the world. That was Katerina Kononenko, a port agent at Avalon Shipping, a shipping agency that specializes in the transit of vessels through the Salina Channel to ports in Romania and Ukraine. As she points out, the geographic location of the Danube ports is incredibly important as they offer access to the Black Sea at relatively lower costs. Uh, a lot of traders and owners uh, have moved to the Danube ports uh, because uh, it's uh, cheaper for the first, for traders, and uh, more profitable for the second, for owners. Uh, you and uh, me and all of us uh, know about the Grain Corridor from Odessa, Chernomorsk, Pivdeny, and its main problem, very long waiting time for inspection in both directions. And for owners and traders, it's big expenses. Many different cargoes, including agricultural products, are now flowing through the Danube ports as supply chains have adjusted. Citrus fruit, for example, was normally handled by Ukraine's major seaports, but in February, a reefer carrying citrus fruit from Egypt arrived in Reni, the first time this has happened in over 30 years. Ukraine's neighbors are also able to lend support via logistics processes that integrate the Danube ports. 
cargos are loaded on three, four, five, I don't know, six barges and transported on convoy from Ukraine to Constanza by the river. And in Constanza, the grain, for example, or wheat uh, is loaded into large deadweight vessels and sent onwards. And I know that Maersk, for example, one week ago, one week ago, opened booking for delivery cargo to Ukraine by barge from Constanza. Yes, yes, it's uh, future prospects. That's why businesses adjust to the situations. The amount of cargo being handled by the Danube ports is no small achievement, and the role in the wartime economy is a big one. But still, the ports have practical limitations, and ultimately, while they are helping supplement the loss of the major seaports, they are not able to replace this capacity. Some of the main restrictions are maximum permissible drafts and a limit on vessel sizes that are allowed to travel through the channels and along the river. There was also an issue last summer with a backlog of vessels waiting to call at Selina in order to move further inland to the Danube ports. But, according to Ms. Kononenko, the agents and authorities have put in a significant amount of work to eliminate this issue and keep waiting times at a minimal. Aside from its river ports, Ukraine has leaned on land transport to get goods to ports in nearby countries such as Poland and Romania. Over the course of the year, Ukraine's Ministry of Infrastructure has worked to improve border checkpoints and repair railway tracks to make travel via road and rail easier and more efficient. Yulia Madalinets, surveyor at Odessa-based Lloyd's agent Eurogal, talks about the rerouting of logistics lines through neighboring countries. For example, uh, currently the, uh, the Romanian port, obviously, of Constanta is the main seaport for Ukrainian iron and steel exports. Um, Ukrainian products are brought to Constanta by road and rail, and rail I mean, uh, as well as by barges from Ukrainian Danube ports, obviously, Reni and Ismail. Um, also, I want to say about Bilgarinstrovsky ports because it was uh, port because it was uh, almost forgotten. Uh, but um, starting from January of the last year, it increased volume of handled cargos in more than 100 times in comparison with the same period of time of previous years. The emergence of new supply chains with neighbors and adaptability of businesses is important to keep trade flowing and it will continue to be an important option in the future. But as Ms. Madalinets points out, it does not fill the vacuum left by the shutdown or even partial operation of the Black Sea ports. It's not enough. I mean, land transport is not enough to carry all goods from Ukraine and uh, to export in Ipot, I mean, at the same time. Um, but um, at the end of the last year, uh, Ukraine uh, exported um, 99 Million tons of goods and sea transport provided uh, more than half of transportation from the uh, total export volume, while rain transport provided only 30, uh, about 35 or 34 percent, uh, and road transport provided only 12 percent. Um, but I want to refer towards uh, of the first uh, vice prime uh, prime minister of economy about that Ukraine uh, will expand land transportation corridors and export to the EU, um, European Union and accordingly will be less dependent of maritime exports even after the unblocking and return of all ports.
While a lot of media attention has been paid to the movement of agricultural commodities, the impact of the war on local container trade has been a less talked about topic, but a very important one. Daniil Melnichenko, a data analyst at Informal Business Group based in Odessa, walks us through the evolution of box ship trade in the Black Sea over the past year. So in 2022, Russian military invasion of Ukraine uh, and the following blockade of Ukrainian container terminals uh, indeed significantly affected the container market in the region. So this led to market disruptions and substantial changes in um, regional uh, container turnover. Uh, our Black Sea container market research showed that total laden container turnover dropped by over 28% or approximately 690,000 TUs lower than a year before. Um, imports fell by quarter and export declined by over 30%. So uh, at the same time, Romania and Georgia uh, volumes actually grew by 15 and 22% respectively. And in both cases, growth can be attributed to the war in Ukraine, which caused those trade logistics routes to change and adapt. So basically, Georgia and Romania being the key Black Sea harbors in so-called middle corridor, um, which uh, which logistics um, allowed it to connect uh, Asia uh, and Europe. So goods from China basically right now flowing via Caspian Sea, via Georgia, following transshipment via Black Sea and then to Romania and further to the Europe via, uh, while pre-war times uh, we had the Silk Route via Russian railway, which now is under sanctions. So again, Middle Corridor is indeed contributing to the container growth in Georgia and Romania, um, while Ukrainian market is completely uh, blocked and unaccessible to international trade. Container ship trade in the Black Sea has certainly been shaken up by the war. Russia, in particular, has been affected by global shipping lines largely closing their Russian business. However, smaller niche and regional carriers are taking advantage of the situation. Niche carriers such as uh, Aconline and uh, Admiral and other Turkish carriers, they gained a big chunk of Russian market now. So, um, Pre-war times, it was they controlled around 18% of Russian market. Now it's close to 50%. At the same time, uh, shrunk global activities allowed it Russian uh, free, uh, Russian freight forwarders actually to evolve uh, and uh, create basically uh, small shipping line companies. Uh, two of them uh, outstanding. Uh, from from the others are Ruscon and Transcontainer. These two large uh, multimodal uh, uh, multimodal logistics operators um, set up uh, liner connections to India and China from Port of Novorossiysk. Uh, basically, uh, they probably the one one of the least who provide the international service to and from Russia. Russia right now is struggling with uh, capacity and uh, struggling with uh, container availability. Um, but uh, there are always smaller uh, niche uh, niche players that are ready to fill those uh, capacity gaps created by the uh, market disruption. So Russia, uh, which in fact uh, lost uh, around uh, it lost around 17% uh, of its laden volume. They're actually doing 
not too bad as many experts expected, right? Um, as well as uh, sanctions, they uh, sanctions as it turned out don't really don't really affected the uh, container logistics sector, especially in the Black Sea. But what about Ukraine? The country's major seaports have been effectively blockaded for over a year, with no direct liner shipments traveling in or out. There were around 30,000 TUs en route to Ukraine at the moment of invasion. Um, as Ukrainian terminals were permanently blocked by Russian forces, threatening to attack basically any vessel trying to enter or leave territorial waters of Ukraine, uh, liner carriers choose to discharge Ukrainian imports in uh, primarily in Romania, Turkey and Bulgaria, the closest ports to Ukraine. Uh, Romanian port located in Constanta uh, and operated by DP World. Uh, it actually been so overloaded with those Ukrainian import containers that at one moment of time in March 2022, they announced that they, their terminal is at 98% capacity. So they couldn't basically move anywhere because they never worked with transit containers and it was something new. They needed to develop new procedures. They needed to work it out uh, to, to make a plan how to move these containers now and on, right? So it took them for a while before they adapted to it. So now Romanian port of uh, Constanta is the major and the main getaway for Ukrainian container traffic. I would estimate that up to 70% of both import and export is flowing via Constanta, while around 30%, 30-35% is flowing via Poland, Gdynia and Gdansk ports. At the same time, Ukraine, Ukrainian um, importers uh, actually not importers, those are stakeholders. They developed other alternative routes, for example, a railway route connecting Italian port Trieste with the Ukraine, uh, central part of Ukraine. So there are many alternative routes to container terminals. But again, these routes are very congested. They, are, they were not, never designed to handle any considerable amount of uh, volume. So again, consider remembering that a year ago, Ukraine was a top container market, basically handling over 1 million TU every year. Now it's completely blocked. Um, this volume cannot be handled by uh, road, trucks, railway. It's just impossible. And uh, also cross-border congestion as well as contributing to delays, as well as higher freight char charges and higher truck deliveries. All alternative routes altogether um, probably can handle up to 30% of monthly volume that Ukraine had pre-war. Those that have found ways to move boxes into and out of Ukraine are faced with higher costs. It is at least 25% more expensive, depending on where they are going in Ukraine, and can in some cases be up to 50% more than it was in pre-war times. There is a shortage of necessary goods for uh, for the public. Basically, there is a lack of humanitarian goods due to logistics. Um, Cross-border congestion for trucks does, does not allow to move quickly humanitarian and most essential goods to Ukraine. At the same time, container logistics would allow it. However, there is negotiation with Russia still going on and Russia simply does not allow to uh, 
restore direct liner shipment to Ukraine. What they say is that uh, Ukraine and its allies will be shipping uh, weapons or other military cargo to Ukraine via its container terminals. Mr. Melnichenko, along with other experts in the local market, proposed an initiative similar to the grain deal to resume direct shipments to container terminals. Of course, the implementation of such agreements has to come at a political level, but a push to reopen container terminals would greatly benefit Turkish carriers and would also allow for greater exports of frozen food, which has become very expensive, to countries in Africa and the Middle East, further helping to relieve the food crisis. Not to mention, it would help civilians in Ukraine get goods, such as consumer products and construction materials that are desperately needed. But Mr. Melnichenko thinks realistically the situation will not change anytime soon unless there is a major decisive shift on the ground. Uh, there is no international shipping line ready to raise their ships and try to enter waters. Similarly, Ukraine does not have any container fleet to accommodate this trade. So, yeah, we are... Uh, most uh, most transport stakeholders believe that until the war is completely over, no direct liner shipment will be happened until then. The implications for shipping, of course, stretch well beyond the immediate consequences for Ukraine's seaborne trade and the grain corridor. So if you'd like to hear more, there are several other episodes of this podcast series looking at the rise of the Dark Fleet and the increasingly complex macroeconomic risk landscape for shipping, the impact on seafarers, and a deep dive into the insurance implications. You can find these episodes by following the links on loislist.com. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>